Pacifica Radio in San Francisco. This is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, a special report on Myanmar, where the military has announced the execution of two prominent pro-democracy activists and two other resistors to the dictatorship. Uh, and also, at least 17 desperate Haitians drown, fleeing the failed state of Haiti. All this and more coming up straight ahead on Flashpoints. And you are listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. This is your daily investigative news magazine. We broadcast every weekday from 5 to 6 from the San Francisco Bay Area over the Pacifica Radio Network. And we are happy to have you along again today. And uh, we begin with this story. Troubling story. Myanmar's junta has executed four prisoners, including a former politician and a veteran activist, drawing shock and revulsion at the country's first, well, <laughs> globally, let's just say. They were accused of conspiring to commit terror acts and were sentenced to death in January in closed trials, military supervised trials. The UN Rapporteur, Thomas Andrews, said he was outraged and devastated by the executions and a whole bunch of other people were outraged and devastated. Uh, and we're going to talk to two of them right now. And joining us is Kenneth Wong. Kenneth Wong teaches Burmese language at the University of California, Berkeley, and also a respected translator of poetry, a writer, an artist. Also joining us is a familiar voice to these airwaves, Jeannie Alessi. She's a filmmaker. She's uh, done a great deal of uh, work, human rights work and filmmaking in Burma. She is extraordinary in that regard. I welcome both of you to flashpoints again. This is a devastating blow to the resistance movement, and it's an absolutely vicious act by the junta. Uh, let me begin with you, Kenneth Wong. Maybe you can just uh, give us a brief look at who the... Uh, the narco dictatorship murdered and something about why you think they died because it certainly wasn't that uh, they were uh, dangerous human beings uh, they were fighting for their people right uh, thank you very much Dennis for giving us the time to talk about this so the four people who were executed um, Monday which was actually yesterday in Myanmar or Burma uh, were Jimmy, also known as Jomin uh, by his original Burmese name, uh, um, is 50. He was 52 years old, a veteran of the 1988 pro-democracy uprising, student leader, and then Kyozia Thor, 41, um, a, ra- a relatively young activist, also a former member of the National League for Democracy, belonging to uh, Do Aung San Suu Kyi, um, also a hip hop artist a rather rare breed from Myanmar. And two other activists, La Myo Aung and Aung Thura So. The first two were um, executed, charged, um, and convicted and executed for um, getting involved in counter-terrorism act. Of course, what they call, count, what some 
Burmese military call counterterrorism act would be what many Burmese ordinary Burmese see as resistance and uh, countermeasures against them illegal military coup that happened in February 2021. And the other two, uh, we know less about these other two. Lamyu Aung and Aung Durazo were charged and convicted for killing an informant, an informant who worked with the um, Burmese military to identify identify activists, get them arrested, and in some cases get them imprisoned or killed. So those were the four that were executed um, yesterday and and to be clear it is not an exaggeration to say the wrong hip-hop presentation could get you killed uh, indeed um, in this case of course um this is Kyo Ziato, the young hip-hop artist um was not just a popular hip-hop artist, but he was also a very uh, active youth member of the NLD party, a political activist. And his hip-hop music often talked about the wrongs and the injustice that the the social ills that the Burmese people uh, have endured and the the military's growing growing, um, encroachment in Burmese politics. So they're not just you know, they're not just singing um, with the kind of uh, American swagger, as the case may be with some American hip-hop artists. They're really doing social criticism and uh, uh, political activism with their music. So this was a very special kind of hip-hop artist. Well, yeah, and I guess there is a great deal of hip-hop that is political as well and that could get uh, somebody in trouble. But I understand what you're saying. Also, uh, joining us is a good friend of this show, uh, Jeannie Hallisey. You must be devastated. Jeannie, do you want to talk a little bit about... uh, You can consider uh, those who were... Uh, killed, particularly one in particular, as a as a friend, as a close friend, and uh, uh, a collaborator of yours. Yes, I had the honor uh, to know and work with Kojimi, also known as Jamin Yu, and his wife Nilar Thane, both of whom were former prisoners of conscience or political prisoners. Um, Jimmy himself spent over twenty two years in prison before the democratic transition that led Myanmar to the hopes of a new government after half a century of military rule. He was also a writer. He was a voice of nonviolence and a person who worked tirelessly to bring together all of the ethnic organizations and the ethnic youth, especially across the country, who had been oppressed by the military regime for half a century of brutal rule. This is indeed um, a very dark day for the people's Burma and across the country, uh, we have seen many people on social media posting uh, black or red to express, I would not even use the word rage, I think it's beyond rage at this point, but this may indeed prove to be a darker day for the Myanmar military because these people who were executed were considered and beloved as heroes of democracy, as heroes of justice and as heroes in the anti-fascist movement, which is what's described as those who are currently fighting the illegitimate military rule. So the question now before us, I think, is what will the people's response be to these heinous acts? 
Well, that's, uh, that's a good question. I should say in terms of response that I believe tonight at 7 o'clock there's going to be an action. Uh, do I have that right at City Hall in San Francisco? That's right. There's going to be a protest outside the City Hall. Uh, by a, a, a People should know that the San Francisco Bay Area happens to be one of the largest communities of Burmese in the United States, many of whom themselves were resettled here um, as refugees from the many decades of political strife that has affected that country. And they have an organization that has been responding since this I- I- illegal coup took place one and a half years ago, and they're going to lead a protest tonight outside City Hall to condemn the horror of these killings, um, which I would describe um, as really being the actions of a depraved and desperate military junta who realize that they are bankrupt. They are bankrupt morally. They are bankrupt politically. They are bankrupt socially and spiritually, and they have absolutely no support within the country of 54 million people. This time, they have crossed a line um, that has never been seen before, both with putting um, their national heroine, Aung San Suu Kyi, in solitary confinement, in a prison uniform, and now with these heinous executions and the hanging of these four activists, um, they have absolutely crossed a line. And I think that there will be a, a formidable response from the people that we will be seeing in the coming period. And it is, it is obviously, uh, you say they crossed the line. Um, the, this is a renegade government, but the, they have been engaged in this kind of violence for some time. There has been growing resistance, uh, but there has not been a word over the border from China or the United States. This isn't a part of the uh, human rights policy of the United States. This is sort of a, a story that's happening out of the spotlight, and thus these murderers are allowed to go forward, Ginny. There has long been a culture of impunity enjoyed by the Myanmar military, who you yourself have uh, written about, Dennis, and described as a narco-dictatorship. They have amassed untold billions of dollars, most of which has been derived from illicit sources, including being one of the largest producers of heroin in the world, which ends up on our streets here in the United States, as well as um, jade, rubies, um, illegal wildlife trafficking, timber, and human trafficking. But I think it's important to just give your listeners um, a concise overview so that they can, we can just back up and, and let them understand the picture that Myanmar, also called Burma, was ruled by military dictatorship, likened only to North Korea for uh, over 50 years. And during the democratic transition, which was the jewel in the crown of the Obama uh, presidency, they moved towards opening up towards Uh, a new form of civil society and releasing of uh, strict press restrictions that had been imposed for many years. And the youth led what we see as this response to the illegal coup that happened one and a half years ago. There were elections held and the uh, party led by uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, the Nobel laureate, who your listeners might be familiar with, won a landslide and the military refused to yield. That led to a coup And there was an unprecedented response for the first time in the history of the country where literally every single state across the country poured out onto the streets. And for the first time, the youth 
joined hands with the ethnic minorities who have long suffered under the military. The uh, elected officials formed a government called the National Unity Government, and then they announced that they were going to have an armed wing called the People's Defense Force. Um, this has been comprised of different local militias, some of whom are more organized than others, some have, of whom have joined the ethnic armed organizations that, that have been waging what they would call a defensive war against the military for all these decades. But um, many analysts see that this recent heinous execution was in response to a kind of vengeance-seeking for the actions of the local militias in targeting some of the military convoys and assassinations of officials, but the realization that the military has that they are losing this war, despite the fact that those who are taking up arms against them are well underarmed in comparison. The will of the people, I have never seen it in the many years I have been working with. And um, it should be noted that just days ago, um, the International Court of Justice gave another big blow to the military regime in their ruling that rejected the junta's objections to the case brought by the Gambia uh, under the International Genocide Convention for the crimes committed against the Rohingya. So all of these things together have um, created a state that was supposed to be a beacon of hope as one of the world's newest democracies that has now devolved into a state of absolute chaos, fear, and terror where arbitrary arrest, torture, burning of villages, airstrikes, sexual violence, and enforced disappearances are the norm. That, that is a fact, and it's a fact that uh, doesn't often get out, uh, and it's an important one. That's what we're on the story speaking with. That's Jeannie Hallisey. Also joining us is Kenneth Wong, and we're talking about, um, uh, Kenneth Wong, we're talking about an execution that essentially happened in secret and then was announced after the fact, preventing any kind of resistance. That's a particularly brutal way to carry this out, isn't it? It was, um, in a way, it's, it's shocking indeed, of course, uh, but it was in a way very surprising to us as well because uh, the last time such an execution happened was around 1988. And indeed, in 1980, there were several death sentences where, that were passed down but later commuted to life sentences. So it gave a lot of the um, family members of the arrested uh, activists, particularly the wife of uh, Gojimi, Nila Veng, herself an activist, and also the wife of uh, Pyozia Thor, the young hip-hop uh, artist, uh, whose name is Zazenyo, herself also a woman, uh, a pioneering woman hip-hop artist in Myanmar, gave these family members a really a sense of hope that maybe it was just a show, it was just um, a swagger, braggadagio, maybe it wouldn't, the, the military wouldn't go through with it. Uh, but, um, uh, Friday, these things are, these details are really difficult to piece together, but uh, through reading social media posts of the family members and listening to the audio interviews of some of them by the local media, some sort of hazy picture did emerge. Apparently on Friday, the arrested activists were actually given the chance to meet with the family members, had a virtual meeting on Zoom. And during that meeting, they were given no clue that there was an imminent execution that was about to happen. Wow. It was only on Monday 
yesterday evening California time, that would be Monday morning when Burmese people were waking up, that they found in the uh, government mouthpiece, the new light of Myanmar, the state newspaper. You have to actually go to page 26, somewhere between <laughs> a weather a weather announcement and a and a public announcement warning people of monkeypox uh, disease. Uh, a little short little announcement saying that uh, four people who have received death sentence have been dealt with uh, according to the law. And there was a very brief terse announcement. And that was how most of the people in Myanmar or Burma found out that four activists had been executed. Wow. And, uh, Kenneth, what are you hearing? I'm sure you've been on the phone and in all the ways that we communicate these days. What are you hearing? Are you, do you think there's something to what Jeannie is saying about uh, they took a step too far? Uh, we know, as Jeannie was saying, that there, there has been a building movement of resistance, uh, and it didn't exist. I remember Jeannie mentioned the piece uh, I wrote for the nation, the um, uh, I can't remember the name of it, uh, but People of the Opiate, but it, where um, there was resistance, but it, it didn't exist like this. Do, do you think uh, they've the military has gone through a door they're not going to be able to come back through? What, though, this is definitely um, uh, uh, the point of no return in several ways, I think. And one way is that... Uh, in the one year, one and a half year point, we have reached one and a half year point since the February um, 2021 military coup. So in some faction of the activist community, certainly I have to admit there were some people who were starting to uh, get a little wary and start to feel like maybe we can make some sort of overture and try to start negotiating to some sort of um, power-sharing agreement. There, there were certainly some who were actually uh, colleagues of the, uh, the executed activists who entertained this notion. But this event put these all out of the question now, of course. Uh, and now it's either you are with the army or against the army. There is no such thing as we are staying in the middle and trying to build a bridge between the two sides. You have to take side now. Um, the other way in which this is the point of no return is when it concerns ASEAN. Because only on um, only last week, I believe, that uh, the Cambodian Foreign Minister Prak Sokom, which is the ASEAN envoy, made a press announcement after meeting uh, Meng Lang, saying that he was able to secure from Meng Lang the promise that he would be allowed to meet Aung San Suu Kyi sometime soon. So he was sounding all upbeat. But that, was, that statement was made on the 21st, and all um, indications pointed out to the fact that the execution of the uh, four activists took place about uh, 48 hours after he made that announcement. So that is a slap against um, the slap on the face of ASEAN. So now the question is, um, you know, it's certainly true that the military, uh, the military regime had uh, crossed the red crossed the line in the eyes of many Burmese people. They crossed the line a long time ago. The line was way past behind them. But the question is, have they crossed the line in dealing with the ASEAN? And if so, is the ASEAN willing to do something well, about it? Yes. Yeah. 
And we're going to, I guess, find that out. And I'm going to close with you, uh, Jeannie Hallensee. Um, is this, uh, have they, you apparently believe that they've taken a step too far. Uh, I'm sure that the people gathering with you uh, tonight uh, feel that way. Do you want to remind people where you're going to be at 7 o'clock and what you hope they'll do? And that action will take place outside San Francisco City Hall um, for anybody that wants to join. I believe it's beginning at 7 p.m. And I think that um, I'm just going to leave it with an open-ended question here, Dennis, um, because there's no shortage, as we've discussed on this show, of tragedies that are affecting this world. And we have seen the ascent of fascism and right-wing uh, brutal regimes having more power across the world but this country deserves the attention of the American people and the support. There's almost 12,000 people have been detained since this coup has taken place. Um, and just since the coup, one million have been displaced inside the country. One million in addition to the one million Rohingya who fled to Bangladesh. So this is a time where the United Nations Security Council has to take action to strengthen sanctions against this regime. And I believe that these people who gave their lives for democracy and freedom and justice, a writer, a hip-hop artist, artists who were speaking about change, positive change through art, will be considered martyrs historically. And we will see what is to come in the coming months. I, I really hope that there is not going to be a, an increased spiral of violence but Myanmar has devolved into a state of chaos and perhaps a collapsed state. So um, if people are listening and they're interested, I would urge them to go to the website AAPP, which is the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners that gives daily excellent comprehensive updates about the situation. And thank you again, Dennis, for giving us this airtime. So it's our honor. We wish we could do more. We are so sorry once again for the loss experienced by those who have been working so hard for peace uh, in Myanmar. Kenneth Wong again and Jeannie Hallisey. Uh We've got the open door. Obviously, please keep us posted uh, and uh, we will be in touch with you. Stay safe. Dennis, thank you. You are thank so you. welcome. And you're welcome. Oh, and uh, you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to talk about one more disaster. This has to do with the ongoing nightmare being faced by the Haitian people, and no good thanks to the United States of America. Stay with us. <laughs> And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. We turn our attention to, yeah, once again, 
Haiti and the suffering of the Haitian people. At least 17 people have died after a boat capsized shortly after midnight on Sunday in the Bahamas. Authorities said the boat was likely transporting Haitian migrants during a suspected human smuggling operation bound for the United States. An investigation into the incident is still underway, but authorities said during a press conference that between 50 and 60 people were in the boat when it capsized approximately seven miles off the coast of New Providence Island. Joining us again to talk about this and one more tragedy uh, faced by the Haitian people is our good friend Kevin Pina. Kevin, um, I just laid out the the bare bones. Uh, Give a little bit of a background. Um, This certainly isn't the first boat, uh, but it certainly represents a desperation that continues. It's like it's a slam dunk in both directions. You're 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 deported. You're picked up at the you know you're chained into a plane, you're deported back to Haiti, you're beaten, you're mugged, you're robbed, maybe you try and flee again, you go into a boat, and half your uh, half your family drowns. This, by the way, was 12 or 13 women and one child, one man. Um, I think it was 16 women and 16, one yes. child, and then, and then another man was... Yes. A male was recovered later, um, as you said, almost 60 people, and that's just the ones that we're hearing about, okay? There are literally thousands of Haitians trying to flee that country every week. There are now known routes that are going south. Um, some of them are going from Haiti to the closest point in uh, Colombia. Some of them are landing on the shores of Venezuela. Some of them are landing on the shores of Cuba. Some of them have even made it to Nicaragua. Uh, all of it treacherous and dangerous. More are drowning than are making it, and more are not being reported. The underreported deaths of Haitians who do not make it um, is in itself another tragedy. Of course, I think we're all very clear what's at the root of this. What's at the root of this is U.S. foreign policy that supported the 2004 coup, which destroyed Haiti's democratic institutions which ushered in a 13-year military occupation by the united nations and during their complete control over haiti's politics they did nothing to rebuild it and instead installed another corrupt government the phtk government of michel martelly the so-called tet calais party uh, which ultimately he had his hand-picked successor jovenel moise both regimes Martelly and Jovenel Moise relied on gangs to put down demonstrations to who were often run by certain elements within the police department. We also know the police department of Haiti has been very heavily infiltrated by the Central Intelligence Agency. We know that the DEA has been running on the island. The FBI has been running on the island. Uh, we know this because we saw them. Uh, reveal themselves when Jovenel Moise was assassinated a year ago in July. We know that after the assassination of Jovenel Moise, that the United States took control of the investigation, that the CIA has requested that the testimonies be sealed. It doesn't appear as if we will know exactly who 
and what was responsible for the murder of Haiti's president a little over a year ago. And gangs, of course, were free to run roughshod over the population. Let me give you an example, Dennis. Sunday morning, before these Haitians' bodies were recovered off the Bahamas, a police officer, an inspector of the police, was grabbed and kidnapped in broad daylight from church. He was then taken and shot on camera. His hands were cut off on camera. And the body was mutilated and shot at on camera by what's known as the Catamarosso and their leader, Namor uh, Sanju, uh, which is the same gang that reportedly had kidnapped the 17, remember the 17 missionaries who had been kidnapped yes. uh, a while back, six months ago? The same yes. gang which is still operating with impunity and to the extent that they can kidnap a police inspector in broad daylight from church and mutilate him on camera and then distribute it throughout social media, terrorizing Haitians further. It's just one small moment of many that have been going on continuously in that country over the past year. Now, you add on top of that the fact now people in this country are complaining about, what, a 9% inflation rate? Haiti's inflation rate is over 25%, Dennis. This year, remittances, that's money that's sent by families and friends to keep their loved ones alive in Haiti, is going to account for nearly two-thirds of the Haitian economy, GDP in that country. And why is that money flowing still to Haiti in such great amounts? Because people are desperate to get their loved ones out of that hell and or to give them money to hunker down. There's no jobs in Haiti. There's no economy in Haiti. There's no government in Haiti. There is only U.S. foreign policy, which continues to rule that island and its population of 12 million souls held captive by a small wealthy elite who the U.S. still to this day as a misnomer calls the private sector. And they are gangsters. They have been involved in drug trafficking. The Central Intelligence Agency has been accused by human rights organizations in Haiti of being in league with them, that the Central Intelligence Agency uses Haiti as a cash cow for immense amounts of untraceable cash because Haiti still remains, despite all of this, the major transshipment point of cocaine from Colombia to the United States. And Haitians to this day still ask, how is that possible? If they can Kevin? intercept Haitians on the open water, if they can keep Haitians from coming to the United States, why can't they stop the drug trafficking? That's a good question. I want to ask you, there were three, at least three people who were rescued and they're still being treated. What do you think will happen to them? They will most likely be deported uh, back to Haiti. Uh, the Bahamas deports Haitians regularly. Apparently, there is a smuggling ring that goes from Haiti to the Bahamas where people are then offloaded for a week or two. Then they're put back on another boat that is bound for Miami. Now, you know, th this is, as I said, this is regularly going on. Uh, 
uh, just yesterday, uh, uh, today, excuse me, just today, over 150 Haitians were stopped near Boca Chita, Keys, in Florida. 150 more. These are small sailboats that are packed with people so that if there's any accident, any rough seas, they topple over. And unfortunately, a lot of Haitians, despite the fact that it's an island, do not know how to swim. Um, You know, you'd be surprised at the number of Haitians who do not know how to swim. And of course, when there's that kind of panic in the water, people, you know, pull on one another until no one makes it. And it's just a regular occurrence and it's a revolving door. And as soon as anybody's sent back to Haiti, their loved ones are sending them money to try to get out again because there is no life there, Dennis. There's no future under the U.S. anointed government of Prime Minister Ariel Henry. This is a continuation of the same government that preyed upon Haiti during the past two administrations, the Martelly regime, the Jovenel Moise regime, both of which owe their coming to power to U.S. support, which led international support to accept the legitimacy of what most Haitians knew were fraudulent elections. Right. And now we have a failed state, unbelievable suffering, and the United States government has got the express train via being locked into planes back to Haiti. Kevin, we're going to have to leave it there for now, but we will never stop covering this story, and because we have you uh, and your extraordinary work and your courage, uh, we're giving people uh, information that they're not getting anywhere else. So again, I thank you for taking the time out. Uh, and I know you got a lot on your plate uh, and keeping us posted. Be safe. Come back soon. Uh, I want to find out what's going to happen to those three folks. Anyway, you be safe, Kevin. Take care. I think we've lost him. My name is Dennis Bernstein. You're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We're going to take a short break. And some of you are going to stay with me. And some of you are going to go somewhere else with Robert Bazenko. Stay with us. The show is Flashpoints. And uh, when we're thinking about Texas, we like to think about it with the help of Perse- uh, Professor Robert Bazenko. He uh, teaches. He's a professor of U.S. foreign policy at the University of Houston. Uh, he currently co-hosts the Green and Red podcast. They discuss politics, as do we. Uh, and, Professor, welcome back to Flashpoints. Uh, hi, Dennis. Thanks again. Always good to talk to you. Well, it's good to have you with us. Um, let's uh, begin with the wholesale politics. Uh, we, there's this guy named Beto Rock who looks a lot better than the guy who's currently the governor who has uh, been causing a great deal of suffering no matter how you look at it. What are the chances that we could actually get rid of that dude? I mean, it's Texas. Um, the most recent poll, which came out like yesterday or today, shows Abbott had 49-41, which is better than it had been. Um, the state disapproves of Abbott like heavily, 55-45, something like that. Yet they still support him. And, you know, Abbott uh, stonewalled on COVID. I think fifty or 60,000 Texans died during the freeze of 2021. Um, 700 people froze to death 
Um, you know, he, he won't do anything about guns. We just had the Uvalde massacre. Uh, you know, it, it would be great, obviously, to see him go. And that O'Rourke has been pretty good, especially recently. But it's just it's difficult. Um, you have some big cities which are trending, you know, more kind of progressive, democratic, at least like like Houston is. But there's just so much of the small counties, so many small counties, especially like in West Texas, where, you know, there may not be big, but they're like 90 percent Republican. And um, so it's difficult. But, you know, on the issues, more people support positions like O'Rourke's on guns, on abortion. I mean, it's it's a weird state because, you know, majority of Texans support gun legislation in, in the same ratio the U.S. generally does. Yet um, Abbott continues to to win elections and then, you know. The people who were with him, Ted Cruz and um, the uh, the Attorney General uh, Paxton, who's been indicted three times, and they continue to win. Also, so I, I mean, O'Rourke has a puncher shot. You know, he has a puncher's chance. I think. You're listening to Flashpoints. Uh, that's Professor Robert Pazenko. My name is Dennis Bernstein. We're going to open up the phones. We're thinking there's so much uh, we could talk about, and we're going to keep talking here. But I want to let you know that if you want to join the conversation, uh, we've got an 800 number for you, 1-800-958-9008. That's 800 800- Nine five eight nine zero zero eight. If you want to get in on the conversation, uh, there is a, a lot to talk about. Uh, I, I want to, you know, I know you've been following along with me what's been going on in terms of the Uvalde massacre, and uh, the massacre obviously was uh, absolutely brutal. But the cover-up, almost—I I mean, you can't say it's worse. But it's sort of putting uh, the people who suffered on the first round uh, through a continuum of suffering based on lying, uh, cover-ups, and a lack of inf- of information and a, a real uh, brutal treatment of the parents and the people who were inf- who were affected when they're asking for information. It's pretty horrible. Yeah. It's indescribably cruel. And, um, you know, obviously the investigation isn't about the actions of those days because they know who the shooter was and he's dead. So it's not like an investigation into, like, who did it. It's an investigation into the police respond. And it, it's a massive cover-up because, like, everyone's to blame. And they're all trying to, you know, kind of shove it off on somebody else. The, the mayor is now saying that anybody who gives out information should be prosecuted. You know, and as you said, it's these parents, these parents who want the information. And the, the district attorney, someone named Busby, and the mayor, whose name is um, McLaughlin, they're fighting with each other. The head of the Uvalde uh, school police, Aaron Dondo, who's also on city council. He's not showing up to city council meetings. The head of the Texas investigation is blaming Aaron Dondo. It's, it's criminal. It's, it's just inhuman, like you said, to put these families through this after what they've already endured. And they're, they're harassing family members. They're not letting them into meetings. The one woman who made, you know, there was a lot of media about her. She ran into the school. They handcuffed her. Then, then they took the cuffs off. She ran into the school and rescued her two kids. She's now being surveilled and harassed by the local police. They like park outside her house with their lights flashing. Wow. Um, it's just, uh, and she rescued her own child. 
She rescued right. her own children. Then there was the one, the woman who became like, she was like very well known, like the day after her husband was a cop and she was on the phone with him in the school. She, she was killed then, but he tried to get in and the other police disarmed him, you know, one of their own. Um, you know, they, they initially, Aaron Dondo said the doors were locked and now they know the doors were not locked. They didn't even try them. So yeah, it's a massive cover up. It's not about the, the actions, the crime itself, because the shooter's dad. They know who did it. Right. It's about the police's utter cowardly uh, failure, criminal failure, immoral, inhuman failure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, isn't it true that they had, for over an hour, they had, I don't know, 15, 20 people there. They had, a, in, in a very short order, they had a uh, protective shield. They had long rifles and handguns, right? They were there. Yeah. It was over 70 minutes yeah. while these kids yeah. were being slaughtered and calling 911. Yeah. Yeah, one of the excuses, well, well, if we had started shooting, we might have, we might have, you know, accidentally hit the kids, shot the kids. Just like, oh, the kids yeah. were being slaughtered. You didn't even try. You didn't even try the door. Um, oh, there were, I forget, like 90 active police from all different, you know, um, units there. It was just, and, and it just gets worse. Every news story just thinks, makes you sink lower. And it's like a punch in the gut, you know, when you think of the families uh, in that community. Um, you know, children, uh, they weren't even identifiable. Some of them weren't even identifiable because they've been just massacred so badly. And, uh, you know, here in Texas, the politicians are... You know, in Texas, guns and fetuses have rights. Nobody really cares about live kids. Now, I don't want to say nobody, but the people who run the state carry mm -hmm. about guns and fetuses, not, you know, not fourth grade kids. So, um, yeah, it's just they're stonewalling the families. Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, in these, this poll that came out that I mentioned earlier, 86% um, of the state said that the police, you know, were incompetent. They, they're to blame. And um, a big majority of the state also says Greg Abbott's response was was incompetent. So, I mean, the, the people of Texas get it. I mean, it's not like they're defending what the police did or anything like that. But the thing about this state, more than anywhere I've seen, is that you just get away with things, you know? You just get away with stuff in Texas. Like, the majority of people are okay with gun laws. Uh, the majority of Texans don't support the abortion laws, the new abortion laws at all. But Abbott gets away with it. I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's real hard to figure out. It, it's amazing. Well, listen, um, we're going to start taking some calls at 1-800-958-9008. 1-800-958-9008. The show is Flashpoints. Uh, we are interviewing Professor Robert Bozenko. He is uh, he's a professor of U.S. foreign policy at the University of Houston. He is uh, he currently co-hosts the Green and Red podcasts. Uh, and well, Matt, why don't you join us uh, on Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio? Welcome. Thank you. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Uh, briefly, I'll just say. I mean, this is just the same old song, just blatantly obvious. You know, what if this was some Waldorf, you know, school in an upper class community? Um, it, the response would be entirely different than 
I don't know, what were they doing out there waiting for a pizza to be delivered? I mean, it's disgusting on so many levels, and I know I'm just reiterating things, but um, we've got to call out for everybody involved, the officers and everybody, to be fired and jailed. So I know there's lots of people that want to chime in. All right. Well, uh, I, I can't say that I disagree <laughs> with those sentiments, and maybe uh, some of them will actually get uh, jailed. Uh, thank you for the call, Matt. We're taking calls at 1 800 958 9008. I did notice, um, uh, Professor, that uh, the Cornyn and Cruz are not very popular uh, in oh, no. Texas, and yet they no. get keep getting reelected. It's hard to uh, figure it out. Uh, but l- let me just change the subject a little bit here. Um, what do you think? Uh, there's a few hearings that uh, have been taking place in Washington, D.C. They've been unlike uh, most of the hearings I've ever seen before. Uh, and it does seem like certain uh, behaviors are being exposed. Were you surprised uh, that uh, there was, there appears to be some uh, mafioso-style witness threatening. Um, no, I thought of that. America. I thought of the scene. Yeah, I thought of that scene from The Godfather. You know, when they bring uh, Frankie P- Frank Pentangeli's brother in from Sicily. Uh, but um, you know, Trump has always had a weird relationship with establishment Republicans. They they never liked him, but they used him, and he did. You know, he did what they wanted. People like Mitch McConnell. But I think he'd become an albatross. So in a sense, I suspect that a lot of those people like appreciate the fact that Trump as a candidate, not the movement, which is still, I think, strong, but Trump himself probably is is finally, finally, you know, getting getting hit for what he did. So in a sense, that's great for the establishment Republicans because they can get rid of Trump. I'm sure DeSantis and Pence are just elated right now. They're probably happier than anybody that Trump is finally getting smeared with all this. And, you know, and then the Republicans can just blame the Democrats for going after Trump. So they'll probably come out of this better off than they were before anyway, because the Democratic Party is, we all know, is more than incompetent. But um, it's really striking, you know, the the Secret Service stories, I think those had been floating around in the media for some time. And today, more or less, the Secret Service had conceded the, the point because they were initially trying to smear the young woman. And now they've yep. said, yeah, Trump. Which is a sensational point. It's really not really that important whether Trump lunged at the guy or not. Um, you know, but uh, um, clearly, yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? Uh, not surprising. Anybody who followed Trump, this isn't surprising at all. I mean, the guy is just insane. But uh, Right, and, and, and Trump had to settle for ketchup on the wall <laughs> instead of Pence's blood. Yeah. on the congressional floor. But that's yeah. what he wanted, and that's what they they were all his uh, key advisors were willing to let him have it, including his yeah. own family. And we haven't yeah. even begun to hear those contradictions. But it does. it is extraordinary. Leo from Oakland, why don't you join us? Have you been thinking about these hearings or about the end of road, or what's on your, your mind? I have, but I have a, a, a rather narrow, more narrow question, but also a more universal question, also a universal yes. question. Um, 
I read recently about the housing program of the city of Houston, and uh, according to that, it was a, a New York Times article about it. It sounds like housing, Houston is putting a, a housing first thing, that the way to deal with homelessness is to put people in homes. Uh, can a, a couple of questions I want to know. Why, if this is working, why is it working? It seems that that makes sense, but how is it working? And could other, if it is working as well as these articles say, how could other cities um, maybe implement programs like this? I'm no. not going to, oh, go ahead. Go, go on, Bob, 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 go on. Well, I was just, I, I've only seen references to this, so I can't pretend to be an expert on it. Um, the county judge, Lena Dalgo, who's pretty, very progressive, actually really good. So she's made an effort to do these kinds of things. So I think that's probably where it comes from. But I really can't speak to any of the, the details of it. I just kind of look, you know, I've, I've heard about it in passing, but I, I didn't see that New York Times. What is the there. basic program? What is the basic program? Because I, I haven't heard about it. What is the, what are the basics? Housing first. And they've done things like, you know, get a hundred I can tell you, um, caller, you you must know there are many uh, battles going on around the Bay Area in terms of um, building alternative housing, independent groups like Poor Network. They're they're having a struggle to get a couple of tiny little houses up for uh, people, and the, the I believe it's the city of Oakland is uh, you know turning their lives upside down uh, for for trying uh, to um, do uh, and sort of set up a model for affordable housing. There is so much resistance. It, it, it just blows my mind. Uh, and at the same time, Bob, what's happening, thank you, caller, for the call. While there's no housing for people that they can afford, they continue to move to make being homeless and houseless illegal. So you essentially, if you are homeless now, you, you're on the run because there ain't any city in America that's welcoming you. That's, you know, they seem to be able to find a lot of money for this war, the billion, two billion, four billion, six billion for war. But, you know, uh, it's getting worse and it's going to get a lot worse, Bob, because of the economy yeah. and uh, go on. Well, no, I, like I said, I'm not familiar with that program. I do know, and I mean, Houston, you, what you just described is, is Houston as well, where the police will, you know, kind of pull up a truck and take all their stuff and throw it away. Um, they'll rouse them away. You know, like the benches at the bus stops now have, like, uh, rails on them so they can't sleep on them. Um, yeah. You know, there's a bar. Uh, so... Um, I hope that program, I mean, Lena Doggo, I've heard her speak about it. She, she's excellent. She's, I think, probably the best elected official in America. But 
Um, the, the city itself is, I mean, it shut down um, several years ago. It shut down Food Not Bombs. It criminalized feeding homeless people. Um, there's an area of town, Midtown, and Houston, not far from where I live, and I walk past it every day. And occasionally you'll see, like, private charities come by with sandwiches, and they make them pray and all that kind of stuff, too. But, um, I, I, I mean, I hope, I hope it happens. But Houston is very much like what you described in, in the Bay Area, too, where it's criminalized. Um, you know, you, you're not allowed to feed homeless people. The police hassle them. So it's, it's uh, like you said, a national situation. And with rents and prices out of control the way they are, it's, you know, going to get worse. So... You're listening to Flashpoints. The number is 1-800-958-9008. Well, I guess what I, I want to turn your attention back to Texas, uh, Bob. And, uh, what I'm concerned about is uh, where the violence is going to come from next. And I am concerned in Texas, all over the country, when you unleash, on the one hand the anti-abortion activists, the voter suppression people, and the Second Amendment people. There's a synergy there. I know because you might remember, I, I did write a book about Henry Hyde, and I did investigate all the people he was supporting, people like Shiloh. These were killers. Um, yeah. And they were extraordinarily violent and now they've you know the vigilante movement is being welcomed in states like texas to mm -hmm. you know this is how the supreme court takes the responsibility off local authorities once they unleash this anti-abortion violence yeah i'm wondering i mean texas is, i mean this has got to this isn't going to go away Oh, no, no. I mean, Texas has, you know, plenty of Proud Boys and Oath Keepers. The, what is it, the Patriot Front, I think, was started outside Dallas uh, a week or so ago. Um, I forget. I, I, I think maybe in Plano. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. Uh, one of the libraries would have a drag queen story hour. They come in and read. And the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers were showing up to intimidate and People came out. But you're seeing a lot of that where, like, the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys are showing up. Um, you know, at pride marches and at, at, you know, like drag queen, um, story shows at the library, things like that. Um, the, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the gun people, the anti-abortion people, uh, the, uh, attorney general, like I said, he's been indicted three times, said he wants to, uh, revisit the sodomy laws because the Supreme Court case, I think it was Obergefell, came out of Texas. Um, so yeah, it, it's in a mad dash. I, the most, horrific thing i read today uh and it's not a law but mississippi they're discussing having dogs at the airport to sniff women to see if they're pregnant this is like it, this indescribable it's like you know you want to make references to days of slavery but i mean it's so i don't know it might be worse than that i mean they're and one local are, politician in mississippi was, was talking about i believe it was mississippi rape is an opportunity to be a mother, yeah. You know, you, uh, you know this this new notion that the the rapist gets to pick the mother of uh, his child. 
I mean, yeah. it really, and they they just take this. Uh, and like I say, here, there in Texas, you got open carry. So you got what? A couple of people with AR 15 showing up to enforce uh, anti abortion law? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's the potential. It's inevitable. It's not even a potential. I think it's inevitably going to lead to more and, and more violence. Um, you know they're they're trying to track people uh, now a lot now in the biggest counties maybe not Harris County where Houston is but the the DAs the you know the uh, county um, uh, attorneys have said they're not going to prosecute abortion related cases because in the cities the Democrats tend to control things but it'll be interesting to see how that you know kind of plays out with the state but yeah I think there we are concerned yeah like you just said it's these vigilante groups because. They're, they work closely in concert with a lot of local law enforcement, as we know, law enforcement is full of right. white supremacists. Um, and they're, you know, they just, like, they target, like, you know, uh, moms groups, which are trying to, you know, kind of do something about gun violence. They go after drag queens. They go after pride events. It, it's really frightening. Uh, and, you know, they, they're legitimated. I mean, that's the thing about the last four or five years now. They're, they're kind of legitimate. That's part of the discourse. They go out. They have the ARs and... You know, they make Kyle Rittenhouse a hero, and um, it's uh, it's a pretty chilling scenario. Ab, that's a good point. Listen, we're we're out of time. Uh, we've been speaking yeah. with Professor Robert Bazanko. He's a good friend of this show. Uh, he is a professor of U.S. foreign policy, University of Houston. He hosts, co-hosts the Green and Red podcast. Bob, thanks for being with us again on Flashpoints. We really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks always, Dennis. Take care. Thank you. That wraps it up for another episode of Flashpoints. Our executive producer is Dennis Bernstein. Senior producers are Miguel Gavilan Molina and Kevin Pina. Technical director is Mike Biggs. For previous episodes, go to kpfa.org or flashpoints.net. For questions or comments, email dennis at kpfa.org. Thank you for listening.